My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hi, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of The Morning Meeting. Today on the show, I'm interviewing my good friend, Connie Palmer. Connie is an LCSW who's an experienced teacher, therapist, and school counselor with more than 30 years of experience. She's the owner of the Therapeutic Learning Connections, which offers social-emotional learning workshops for schools, communities, and workplaces. Today, we're going to talk about the intersection of grief and shame, something that Connie became particularly interested in as she started to do more work in the field of bereavement. Connie Palmer, I am so happy to have you on the show, besides the fact that you've got great wisdom and I'm excited to talk to you about our very important topic. I'm just always thrilled to talk to you and see you too. So thank you for coming. Well, that's mutual. And I'm always glad to talk with you and I'm just so excited about your podcast. I'm a fan uh, and I'm just grateful to be a part of it today, especially with the topic you're going to let me talk about, which is one of my favorites. We'll see how everybody else feels about that. Yeah, I I think most people are like, run. (laughs) Run, Not if they've already tuned in. If they're already tuned in, I think they're probably Don't run, don't run. It'll be worth it, I promise. (laughs) So I actually had asked you to come on the show today because I thought, it is a topic that you care a lot about and you know a lot about, and there's not a lot of research about it. So I thought a really good way to educate people on the topic of grief and shame. And maybe you could just start with telling us a little bit, how did you become intrigued between the relationship between grief and shame? Yeah. So I, I always joke that I'm not a lot of fun at a cocktail party because two of my favorite topics are grief <laughs> and shame. And, uh, but I do love to talk about them. I've been a therapist and I'd been a student of shame, um, you know, just as something that I knew was such a, a part of, uh, of a hum- just a human dynamic that we all experience. And for people who've gone through trauma, they especially may deal with uh, some degree of shame. So I knew about it from that lens. I knew about it from the substance abuse lens. But then I started working for Imagine. And when you come to Imagine, uh, you uh, meet with one of our program associates and they do an orientation. And when I was doing those orientations at the beginning of Imagine, I would tell them all about the program. And then I would ask them to, to share what, what brings them uh, to Imagine. I would say a good percentage of the people would cry uh, when they talked about why they were there. And it could have been a week after the death. It could have been 10 years after the death. It didn't really matter. But, you know, they would be together as a family. And it was just, it was very moving. And, you know, well, so far so good because, Tears are fine at a grief support center and you get to have all your feelings, but here's where it got really weird is that orientation after orientation, as soon as that person cried in front of me, they immediately said, what word? Think, I, I love your guess to think, like, what word do you think they said? And I'm going to guess that most of you know the answer to this, that they all said, I'm sorry, reflexively, immediately. And I, and I was like, I, I know what that is because guilt is if I step on your foot, 
I say, I'm sorry, because I feel bad because I've hurt you. But this was a very different kind of, I'm sorry. It was, I got, it was almost this, I, I, I burdened you, or this is a terrible thing I'm inflicting on you. Or um, I think also a, a fear that I was, would be judging them or that they were judging themselves in that moment for having uh, expressed their emotions so freely. So that was the beginning of, I was like, I think, you know, it, just anecdotally, it was a repeating theme. So then I, you know, I think I probably went to you and, and to other people who have a lot of expertise in grief. I'm like, this is a thing. And whenever I do grief education, everybody knows the answer to that question. Uh, there are some cultures where that may not be the case, but certainly in American culture, everyone knows. So it turns out there's no research, you know, especially when I first started off uh, in uh, 2012, 2013. Now we're seeing a little bit more out there because there's a lot more shame research out there. And I think that there are people who are beginning to see that connection. So it, it, when I, what it did was just change how I did the grief education is to include that reality as part of the training, because so many people evidently have a, a pretty consistent experience of discomfort and fear. Uh, just how is someone going to feel if I cry in front of them when, of course, that would make sense that they would. So, right. and I think it's just so important to think about like, what is shame, you know, yeah. this it's this feeling that there's something wrong with us. When you're grieving, there's nothing wrong with grief. I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. It's normal. It's a natural reaction. And yet we often feel like we're not doing it right or we're burdening others with our own grief. And that's where that shame comes in. And and you've defined shame really well. It's just a part of ourselves that, you know, it's a social construct that there's certain things that we do in society where we feel like this is not okay. Uh, I should not be doing this warning, warning in some way. And I think that that was why there was such an immediate and reflexive apology from most people who, when they would cry. So shame is just that feeling of, I can't, I either judge this part of me and I got to get rid of it. I got to hide it. I got to overpower it and control it either because of my own judgment of that part of me or because I'm afraid of other people's judgment. Think about many years ago, I was running a, um, a bereavement group at a hospital. So my dad died, it will be 19 years coming up. And it was probably about 16, I mean, about six months after he died. And I'm driving to work where I am running a bereavement group. And something came on about um, the TV show NYPD Blue on the radio, which was my dad's favorite. And I started crying. I remember talking to myself in the car saying, Mandy, pull yourself together. It's been six months. Like, what are you doing? And it like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm driving to work where I'm about to support other people who are grieving, who are going to say to me, I can't believe it's six months and I can't pull myself together. And I'm going to say, it's only been six months. Right. And here I am talking to myself saying, you know, that I'm not doing well because I was crying in a car six months later. You know, thank God I've realized there's nothing wrong with that because 19 years later, I still cry sometimes. And I realized that that's okay. Exactly. And I, and I had that same experience at m both my parents died a few months apart. And I remember ha having this very stern conversation with myself because I was, you know, had a grief burst out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, and you know, had that same sort of get your act together message. And I think that this, you know, I, I 
got the idea that we we have these grief beliefs that float around in our consciousness and there are some healthy ones and some unhealthy ones and i think this feeling that sort of like there's some i'm doing it wrong or i i'm i'm not i shouldn't be feeling this way anymore or i should be able to control it i think that's one of the key things that triggers it is you're you're out of control uh Mm -hmm. feeling uh, which can you know it does it makes you kind of puts you on edge to like oh my god this big burst of grief came out uh, and we sort of but we live in a society that i think sort of believes that we should be able to control it yep i was doing a little bit of research recently on different theories of grief and you know this very popular theory that you know so many people have heard of with elizabeth kubler ross and these stages of grief by the way weren't created for grief but has been you know misused over the course of a long time and it's really like embedded in our culture that there are these stages that you start you know with a something that happens right some kind of a loss and then you go through these stages and then you get to some kind of resolution or acceptance which is the final stage and when you think about that actually grieving sort of the way that we all grieve which is not in stages um, there's this pressure that we put on ourselves, I think, to feel like, but I'm supposed to be beyond the anger. I had anger, you know, two mm-hmm. months ago. So now I'm supposed to be bargaining and then I'll be depressed <laughs> and then I'll be all better. Right. And it's, you know, I think we we feel like we're doing it wrong because there is this cultural grief belief that we're supposed to go through it in a certain way and in a certain time frame. And I, I think a lot of it is also tied to the fact that 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 it's a vulnerable thing you know that when we when we express our grief we're we're at our you know it's such a precious thing what our grief is and uh no matter whether it's because someone died or whatever it's causing our grief and i think that we have a society that doesn't equally value vulnerability the vulnerability of grief to the strength. I see those two parts of us as just what it is to be fully human. The vulnerability, which grief is just one aspect of that part of ourselves, as well as the strength. And strong, I'm a fan of strong. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what we're needing so much more is places where it's okay to not be okay. And I I guess the other thing I want to say, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I can't count how many times I've heard someone, whether it be in you know, my personal life or my professional life, someone tell me a story about a horrible thing that someone said to them about their grief. So not only do we say it to ourselves, but I think some of the reason that people are so cautious and, and maybe even wary is right. I feel like I hear those stories all the time. I think, you know, in some ways, when you hear those stories, when people show you who they are, believe them to some, to some extent, if somebody shows you that they are not there, that they are not able to to be present to your vulnerability, believe them, right? Yeah. You have to protect yourself. You can't be yeah. vulnerable all the time. My hope for people is that we can find spaces where you can be authentic and and vulnerable. Now, that doesn't mean that you should do that all the time because sometimes it actually could be dangerous to let people see, you know, your true vulnerabilities. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but the reality. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think I was, I was doing a workshop on social emotional learning. And one of my, the things in that toolbox is, you know, being able to decide when it's safe to take off your mask. 
you know, and, and being able to discern who are the people that are safer, because no one's perfectly safe, because we're human, and we're going to say the wrong things at times. But who are the people who are most likely to give me love and support and empathy, and a sense that they have their own grief and vulnerability. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like what I think I said to this group of high school students, I'm like, that's probably one of the most important, important adulting tasks that you have is to build those people, you know, and, and treasure them uh, and find them if you don't have them in your life. That, that, that is for sure. And I, you know, I think it's also like, it's not only finding it, but also giving ourselves permission that it's okay to be okay. I, I remember, um, I'm sure you've read or heard of Megan Devine's book. Yep. You know, it's okay to not be okay. Yep. And I just, felt like that is just it's sort of bust it's a shame buster you know that that we're saying that that there's some how could you how could you be okay after you've had a major loss but yet that's what our society demands the 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 first book I read that was really related to shame was this book called No Time for Tears Surviving Grief in America by Cynthia Freeman and I I was like oh good it's somebody's starting to name this uh, dynamic because we do live in a, a society that is so uncomfortable around grief and and powerlessness and that's how it, it's so hard to sit with people that are grieving so it's not and I've probably you know, before I worked, before I was more involved, like I am now, <laughs> I, I'm sure I inadvertently said things that were, you know, shaming. Absolutely. And um, so I think it's just part of our society. And and when we know better, we do better. I was thinking before about these, you know, grief beliefs that we we all have, you know, some of us are aware of some of them. And then there's others that we're not even, you know, fully aware of, but becoming more mindful of our own grief beliefs. And is this belief serving me, you know, or is it encouraging that shame and this belief that I'm, you know, somehow needy or, or undeserving of, you know, the love and attention and support from other people. And, you know, to examine some of those beliefs, I think is so important when, uh, when you're looking and needing support. I, I remember a friend of mine used the term that we're, we often are stingy receivers. And I think it's because we're like, I don't want to be seen as needy. Well, when you're grieving, you have needs. Absolutely. And even the word needy is shaming, isn't it? That somehow there's something wrong with having needs. Well, who doesn't? Yes. I sure do. <laughs> and when we're grieving and going through so much, I mean, grief is painful. So of course we have needs from others. Yeah. So I say that all the time, like, you know, I'm needy. And I don't mean that in like a bad way. Like I have needs. Yeah. I am needy. Let's change it, Mandy. I know (laughs) it's, it's not a bad thing to be needy, right? We all do have needs. And when I tell you I'm needy, what that means is I need something. So pay attention to me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Give me, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can, if you're available, um, you know, pay attention to my needs. Um, yeah. And that will reduce some of the shame that I'm feeling. So that it, it gets received by others. Right. Absolutely. I love that. Yep. I think there is a, a connection between shame and attachments yeah. to other people. And, you know, grief can be such a lonely, isolating experience. And when you have a lot of shame around, you know, grief or other things, it can really block the way that you can connect to other people. Yeah. So I... I was 
every once in a while you watch a video or you learn something new that just like you're like oh my god that just names a truth that's how i felt when i watched Brene brown's first you know video mm -hmm. on vulnerability and her second one on shame <laughs> so it was just like my eyes were opened and uh about a year ago i watched this video by a psychologist whose name is gabor mate mm -hmm. and he uh it's it's called attachment and authenticity and in this video, he talks about the fact that we have these two needs as human beings. So we have this need for attachment, for connection with human beings, and, a, and a, also a need to be authentic, to be who we really are. I, I think that uh, what he says in there is our need for attachment is so great that we will often sacrifice our authenticity to stay attached. And I think this happens in grief all the time. And I think that maybe that's where that I'm sorry comes from. We want to keep that attachment with someone. So we hold back this whole other very real part of us, you know, the, that has all these normal, natural feelings, when, especially when we've gone through a major loss. And I, it, what having that language really helped me realize that what we want to do is offer attachment, but also places where people can be authentic where they can really be who they are. I'll tell you an example of where I heard this. Um, we were, I think you were even there. We did a response uh, at a school uh, after one of the students had, had killed herself. Just terribly tragic, traumatic death. And this uh, eighth grade boy was really suffering and missed his friend and was so upset about how she had died. And his mom was, was very clear with him. She said, you have a week yep. and that's it. And then you need to be over this. And, and so we talked about that grief belief that she had and how protective it was, like how hard it is for a mom to watch their kids suffer and how scared parents are, especially with that kind of death. But I said, well, what are you going to do? Because you need a place to be able to talk about this too. And it sounds like it might not be okay to talk about this with your mom. And he said, yeah, I need to figure out who else I can talk to about this. And I was, you know, that's really what we want people to be able to do is, is yeah, he, he has, you know, his mom is just not going to be the person uh, that he could talk to so that there hopefully were other people and maybe even some of his peers uh, were more open to it after we visited there. So yeah, I remember that. And I also think about, you know, and it doesn't mean that his mom is a bad person or that he can't be attached to her. We're all, you know, humans with limits. So either she didn't know better or, you know, that's just her, you know, that's her limitation. So, you know, I'm sure she's good at other things and, um, and I'm sure it's, you know, he relies on her for other things. And then there's other people that you're going to rely on for different needs. You know, I was talking to someone recently who um, was also experiencing a pretty significant loss and, uh, they said the same thing that, you know, they were talking to one person and that person just kept trying to cheer them up and fix it and make things better for them. And they said, so I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to, you know, hear it as I love you. And I wish that you weren't in pain, even though, you know, what they're saying is just be happy. Uh, but I'm going to hear it differently. And I'm going to talk to other people who can actually listen to my to my pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that ability to let people be where they are, it's really hard, you know, it as is. a parent, they'll, 
the hardest thing for us is when our kids are, you know, in pain themselves and our, we're hardwired to, to protect them and to shield them from that pain. Yep. And I think it's just, you know, there's so, I, I guess what I wanted, what you, in that conversation you're just relaying and with this student, I wanted in some way to have them feel like, but that didn't make this part of them bad. You know, that it was just because one person, you know, is just not able to be available, but that there's nothing wrong with that authentic part of you that is grieving and uh, to be able to hold both of those things. Right. Yep. And it's such, you know, that's so hard, I think, especially as children, when you hear those messages, you do internalize some of that, like, oh, so I'm supposed to be over it in a week. And if I'm not over it, I am bad. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done as adults when we've internalized messages like that. Yeah. And I, I think that the, this, that's why I'm so glad you're doing this, this podcast mm -hmm. on this subject, because I think there's, um, you know, I absolutely didn't hold anything against that mom. She's like so many of us, probably like I was, mm -hmm. and I probably like, and I was a social worker. And I think that, you know, there's, you know, so many things that we say with the best of intentions, but what we want to look at is what's the impact of what yep. we're saying and, uh, and then to look for other resources for, for, to, you know, if we can't get it one place to, to find other places to get that support. So what do you think as far as people who do experience a lot of shame, what are some sort of strategies or resources that you're aware of that uh, might be helpful for them? So, um, you know, this I, I, I this goes back to some of the work that I do have done in anti-bullying, and one of the my favorite questions to ask kids if they've been bullied or someone's calling them stupid or something like that is to ask these three questions: Is it kind? Is it true? Do I believe it? So, is it kind? Like when you said to yourself in the car, "Come on, man, get yourself together." That's not kind. Uh, so that condemnation of ourselves or others, you know, so that it's not, it's if I'm feeling that sense of shame, uh, to just sort of be gently curious, you know, is that kind to talk to myself like that? Uh, would I talk to someone else like that? Never. You would never, ever to speak to someone else like that. I know you. Um, so, and is it true? is the next question. Is it really true that I should be over it in, in whatever, or I should be doing my grief like this or keep strong and carry on? Is that really true? And then to really look at, do I really believe this grief belief? And maybe it's only 50%. You know, I think a lot of us are on this autopilot and there's a lot of mindfulness that's required after a loss that, that allows us to grow if, you know, and expand uh, our understanding of grief, not only our own, but others. Anyway, that was my first thought about how we could, how, how we can challenge that. And I also think it's the other thing that I already said is looking for those places where it's, it's okay to not be okay. Who are those people? Like your, your friend was saying, well, I know I'm not going to get that here. I, there's this old expression, don't go to the hardware store for bread. You know, so find the places where there's actually bread uh, for you. And I think that's why so many people come to grief support centers is it's the one place they're like, oh, I feel normal. Right. You know, I don't have to pretend I'm fine when I'm clearly not fine. Right. I think, you know, that's so much of the work that both you and I do, right, where schools or agencies will call us in because they want to do better. Right. But they are they're a hardware store. And they know it and they want to learn how to 
how to sell bread. And we all can learn that, right? We can all learn how to be more uh, empathic and present to people. Kudos to all of you who are listening, because obviously you're you're preaching to the choir a bit. But, you know, there's so much work that can be done. Um, if people are interested in learning more about your work, Connie, how can they do that? Yeah, so I I am uh, I love to talk about grief. I love to talk about shame. Call call me uh, <laughs> if you'd like to know more. Uh, no, I do. Uh, I work for Imagine as a grief educator, so I go out into the community, similar to what Mandy does, and provide grief education uh, anywhere where there's grief, which these days is pretty much everywhere. Uh, but in addition to that, I have my own business called Therapeutic Learning Connections, which specializes in social emotional learning. Uh, be, uh, that is not grief, which is pretty much everything else. Uh, so that social emotional learning that we are lifelong learners and we tend to think of that as, oh, well, that's just kids. I got to tell you this pandemic, I have been, I've, it's been a social emotional learning crash course. Uh, so definitely reach out to me at cqpalmer at yahoo.com. Would love to hear from you. So again, that's cqpalmer at yahoo.com. Would love to connect if you either have questions about or want more resources about about shame or the connection to grief. I'm always, as you can tell, always glad to talk about it. <laughs> I was just going to say, and she means it when she gives out her email. And I highly encourage people to reach out to you because you are such a great person to talk to. I, I feel like you are a a bread store with every single kind. <laughs> we got rye, we got you wheat. Well, you got likewise, all the bread. <laughs> and, and likewise, you're you're my you're one of my go-to. Oh, I think I I think I have a need for bread today. Uh, <laughs> sources. So thank you for thank you for having me on. What fun! Oh, it was. It's we had it's fun only, with such a hard topic. <laughs> it's only sad that it's ending because yes. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, man. And, and I'm just so excited to be a part of this uh, today. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Connie, for coming on the show. It's always my pleasure to spend time with you. Next week, I will be speaking with Cynthia Whipple. Cynthia lost her mom as a young adult, which began her journey of supporting others who also lost a parent. We will talk about her work and how it has brought her some strength as she continues to grieve. So I hope you will join us for that. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.